Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 222 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Action Taker, an interview with Amanda Rojas. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Now, we've learned through 222 episodes of our podcast that there is a formula for healing, and this young woman is a manifestation of that formula. You have to have body intelligence, meaning you have to listen to the signals your body has given to you. You have to control your mind, and you have to find the courage when controlling your mind to take action. And Amanda, if nothing else, is an action taker. Rich, Amanda talked to us about how she had over 70 symptoms due to chronic Lyme disease and how she got them down to five. She also talked to us about neurological herxing and specific tools she used to overcome the struggle. Finally, she talked to us about her body being in a constant state of fight or flight and how she was able to bring her nervous system down to a state of normal and to get her quality of life back. Matt, in the end, this story sounds very much like a Marvel superhero uh, story where you have a young woman who was an athlete, so she was in tune with her body. She had a mother who was urging her always to stay in touch with her feelings, and she was always an action taker. And when you put that all together after the Lyme disease journey she went on, she is very much like a Marvel superhero. So Matt, without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce the action taker, Amanda Rojas, to the Tick Boot Camp community. Hello, Amanda Rojas, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Hi, I'm so excited to be on. Thank you guys for having me. We're really excited to have you, Amanda. And Matt has been really excited all week to interview you. So finally, the moment has arrived when Amanda Rojas has joined the Tick Bootcamp podcast. So Amanda, where are you right now? I am actually sitting in my vehicle at my sister's softball tournament. We're diehard softball family. So we always have something going on when I fill up to it. This is our happy place. Well, that's wonderful. And, and I have to tell you, you've created a little bit of a happy place for me because you have a New York Yankees hat on. And although our, our listeners will not be able to see that, if your goal was to make me happy, you've achieved that by wearing your New York Yankees hat. So, uh, Amanda, so you're at a softball game. Where and what state and what part of the region? Where are you? So I am in Phoenix, Arizona. And talk to us about Phoenix, Arizona. What is it like to live in Phoenix, Arizona? Um, it's always hot as people always probably hear. It's not like the movies where you see the Western towns and it's a very busy city, lots going on, lots to do. Um, people are always going and nonstop basically. So are there really tumbleweeds in, uh, in Arizona? Um, I mean a few here and there, but not really. I mean, I don't really notice that. Again, I just have to get my bias out right away. So, uh, so Amanda, talk to us about, uh, what you do in Arizona. So I am, I work from home now, thank gosh, which we'll get into obviously a little bit more, but I work from home part-time. Um, I am married. We just had our first son. He's nine months old. So that has been a handful. Thank you. So not sleeping and just trying to get back to somewhat of a routine currently. Okay. Talk to us about your wife. What does she do? She works for a large corporation. She works for American Express. So she's also currently working from home since the pandemic. All so. Right. Call so center gals. <laughs> you and uh, you and she and your son are uh, all getting used to one another uh, since he's come into this world. Yes. So Amanda, talk to us about your background. Where are you from and, and what was it like growing up where you grew up? So I'm from Tucson, Arizona, which is a few hours from where I'm at now. It's a smaller city. Um, I've always played sports and been very active and I'm a fixer. So I'm the person everybody goes to and you know, just nonstop, always working multiple jobs, coaching softball, playing softball, very involved in sports and just come from an athletic family and always on the go. 
So um, talk to us about your educational experience. What was, uh, what was school like for you um, first, uh, first as a child and then as you grew up? So as a child, same thing, kind of always in sports every, you know, three times a week going to sporting practices and tournaments. And as I got into high school, um, I did move from eighth grade to high school. So that was pretty hard for me. That was kind of a changing point in my life. Um, but I really enjoy it here now. And I wouldn't change that for the world, but also kind of sports. And that's when now, if I look back, I noticed that I started to maybe have some issues and symptoms that could have possibly been part of this that I never knew at the time. Uh, major stomach issues. So my senior year in high school, I mean, I was finding any reason to skip school, not go to class, but I'm that overachiever. And I mean, some people may say brown nose, whatever they say, but I always made it right with the teachers and did my lessons and did what I had to do to still pass my classes. So all right. Well, we're not going to focus on you sucking up just yet. Let's just focus on uh, <laughs> let's focus on your your time as an athlete, right? I mean, one of the things that uh, we do as athletes is we try to um, hack our bodies so that we can perform at the highest level. So talk to us about the kinds of things you were doing. What were you learning about your body and how are you making changes in how you used your body so you can perform athletically at the highest level? So I think now I know obviously a lot more and things that I shouldn't have probably been doing, but a lot of working out with minimal food or Back then, I mean, we all ate hot Cheetos for lunch or a pretzel with cheese. We didn't have very good nutrition, but then you're working your bodies to its limits. You're lifting weights. You're going to after-school activities. You're going to your club activities after that. So I think just working it too hard and not providing the nutrition it needs really kind of played a role in things too. Okay, so you were you were learning about nutrition. You were learning about um, how to um, develop your body, um, and as part of learning that, first as a young child, and then as you grow older, uh, did you ever learn anything about how to protect yourself from injuries in sports? Um, I don't think we learned a ton, except for the basic: you need to stretch or warm up before you just get out there and get going. But there wasn't a lot of talk on that. Okay. What about, what about safety equipment? I mean, you, you said you're a softball player. Did you play any other sports? Um, softball was the main sport, but I mean, I've played other sports. I'm pretty athletic. So, you know, in classes or if you get together with your friends, we did other activities, but softball was my go-to. So, okay. As a softball player, you wanted to make sure you didn't get hurt and you want to make sure no one else on the field had gotten hurt. So there were a number of different pieces of equipment you would use. For example, you'd wear a helmet. You would, um, you would wear, I, I guess, as a softball player, you'd wear a face mask. Your pitchers would have shin guards and, uh, and face masks on. So there were a number of different pieces of safety equipment that you were trained to use and you were able to perform at a high level despite using so that you wouldn't get hurt, correct? Correct. And were there any other precautions that you were taught during your time as a softball player? For example, uh, there was a there was a a, um, a a circle where you would warm up, right? And you wouldn't you would be able to swing the bat so no one else would get hit with the bat, right? There were a number of different rules that were put in place that would keep you safe and keep other softball players safe. Correct? Yeah, lots of those things. Okay, so now as part of all of these different safety precautions, you were trained, you know, for example, when you were taking your warm up swings or, you know, you were you were, you know, you were either a catcher or a pitcher or, or, a, or a batter, um, you were you were given all kinds of safety instructions, safety equipment. Did any of the safety tools that you were given during the course of 
your athletic training teach you how to keep yourself safe from coming in contact with ticks or tick diseases? I don't think so. I mean, being in Arizona, it's something people just don't talk about. I can't tell you how many people till this day say, how do you get Lyme disease? We don't have ticks here. They don't know that there's other, you know, now I know we probably should have been wearing some natural essential oils or bug sprays or different type of things to protect us that here, I mean, most people still take it as a joke. So uh, I, I wish, unfortunately, Arizona was the only place where culturally people believed there were no ticks and there was no Lyme disease. But, you know, I can tell you that we interview folks from all over the country and all over the world. And that same perception is true there as well. So it's not unique for those of you who are from Arizona. Are you called Arizonans? What, do you, what, what is someone <laughs> from Arizona called? I think that's what they call us. <laughs> All right. So it's, it's not it's not unique to you, Arizonans. I mean, quite frankly, even here in New York, there are many people that say in parts of New York, we don't have Lyme disease, even though, quite right. frankly, we're the we're the tip of the spear. So. <clears throat> so, uh, Amanda, talk to us about, you know, in your education. Now, did you take any health courses? Did you take science courses? I mean, was there any of that type of education offered to you in Arizona? Um, I mean, I had health, tons of health courses and physical education courses that included the health science classes, um, some college classes that also, you know, entailed the health classes and courses. All right, so during, during any level of education, elementary school, junior high school, high school, college, did you learn anything about how to protect yourself from vector-borne diseases, whether they be tick bites or scorpion stings or spider bites or, or, or mosquitoes? I think the only thing that we even touched on is mosquitoes because that is big here. But again, nothing that they can carry these diseases or tick-borne illnesses, anything like that. It was just touched on, you know, you, West Nile virus is what everybody talks about here. All right. So, Amanda, talk to us about when your symptoms first began. You, you began to reference that earlier in the conversation where you said that you started to have some um, GI issues when you were a uh, high school student. Talk to us about that. So I was in high school and I would just have an uneasy stomach. I mean, nauseous. And I would always just think I would just kind of attribute it to a nervous stomach. Like, oh, I have to take a test today. Or, oh, I had this thing where silence just wasn't my, I didn't like to be in a silent room. It would kind of give me a little bit of anxiety and just minor anxiety. Things then that I didn't really Everyone just told me, oh, it's just normal. Teenagers go through these things. Maybe you're uncomfortable with people in the room or whatever the case may be. But I couldn't find a common denominator, I guess, to see what caused those issues. It was every day, every single morning. And of course, any stomach issues, every doctor's like, oh, it's just irritable bowel syndrome. I'm like, but I don't have those type of symptoms. So it was just brushed off. Okay. And so talk to us about how your symptoms developed during the course of the next few years and how they were impacting your life. So I think it was around, and I'm bad with the time frame here, but it was either 2015 going into 16 or 16 going into 17, somewhere around there. It's been about seven years now. Um, it was right before Christmas time. And I had at the time, what they told me was a major flu. I mean, I was so sick. I couldn't get off the couch. Um, I couldn't hold anything down. My mom is a little bit more natural. She's a um, dental hygienist. So she knows a little bit of background of things. And of course, we never took medication growing up. So her thing was, oh, chicken soup and let's do the healthy things. And it just wasn't getting better. So she got worried and took me to the hospital. 
And at the hospital, they diagnosed me with the flu because obviously they didn't, they didn't run any diagnostic testing. They didn't do anything. They just said, oh, it's just a flu. It's going around. So at that point, they prescribed me Tamiflu. So before we go into this event, and, I, and this is, I know this is a really important element of your story, I want to walk back to uh, that window of time between when you first started having these stomach issues in high school, and then uh, when you had this experience when you were 25 or 26 with this, um, with this flu. How are your symptoms developing from, from the standpoint of your stomach issues all the way until the time that you had this flu when you were 25 or 26? So I think that I just constantly had these stomach issues the whole entire time. I mean, they never really got better, went away. Even after I graduated high school, I still had the issues, um, just feeling very uncomfortable, always nauseous, sometimes having to throw up. I remember pulling over to throw up to go to work and it almost felt like a nervous stomach. So everybody just kind of you know, brushed it off and, oh, it's just that anxiety. It's in your head type of thing. And so I'm thinking, okay, I'm crazy. Maybe it's just, I'm anxious to go to work or to a softball game or something that I've done for many years that shouldn't have been a problem. So the, the stomach issues just continued. And then that's when it led into the flu, the okay. flu portion, what they thought was the flu. So you consistently had these stomach issues between the ages of 17 and 18, all the way through the time when you had the Tamiflu incident, where you had these flu-like symptoms, correct? That's correct. Now, did you ever see a doctor during the course of that window of time where you were suffering from these stomach issues for that six or seven year window? Yeah, absolutely. I, at that point, I was still a believer and I still, there's a time and place for Western medicine, but at that time I'm going to the doctor and they should know what to do. I should take what they prescribe me. I should listen. And they tried a few different things, acid reflux medication, um, anti-nausea medication, different medication that would just calm down spasms, things like that, but nothing really worked. I even tried an anxiety medicine because I'm like, you know what, maybe they're right, but it did nothing. It only, you know, made things a little bit worse. Okay. So let's, let's pause there for a second, Amanda. So you're, you're going to doctors on a pretty consistent basis. No one's able to give you any medication or anything that works. And they finally start to now suggest to you that you're suffering from an emotional issue and you never really believed that, but because you had run out of options, you even tried a mental health medication. Yeah, that's correct. So now, did you ever really doubt whether there was something physically wrong with you when you were going through this problem with all the doctors telling you there was nothing wrong with you? Or did you really know there was something physically wrong with you and, and the doctors were just unable to find something? At the beginning, I knew something was wrong because things just randomly changed. I never had that a pr problem before. You know, my, I think it was my senior year. I never had that issue before. It just kind of started happening. So I knew something was wrong, but at the fact that doctors are just brushing you off, they don't even sometimes want to take lab work or do anything. It kind of made me feel like I was crazy. So then I questioned, okay, is this in my head or is it really me? But at the fact that nothing was helping, I knew there was some kind of root cause. There was something going on. So essentially what was happening, Amanda, was because the doctors were not able to find anything wrong with you based on their training or their education or their testing, um, they were essentially encouraging you not to follow your intuition and not follow the signals your body was giving to you. That's correct. So now let's talk about, um, let's talk about whether or not there were any patterns, right? So for example, uh, one, of, one of the things that we're learning through our podcast is that there is a meat allergy called alpha-GAP. And it's actually a pretty common tick disease that many people have. 
The problem is that it's very difficult to diagnose. And although many people think that it, an, a meat allergy would would cause you to suffer, you know, anaphylactic shock. In most cases, it doesn't um, result in anaphylaxis. So it doesn't have to be that extreme. But the other thing that's interesting about that, uh, that allergy is there are meat products in everything we consume. So it's not like you have to eat a steak and then you're going to have this response. There are a number of different things that you could either wear, clothing you could wear, or you could even take common medications to treat for example, a stomach ailment, and that medication itself will have mammal um, proteins in that very medication. So one of the things that we want to certainly urge you to discuss with your doctors and think about is whether or not you were suffering from alpha-gal and, and you had the tick disease back then. So let's, fa let's fast forward, let's fast forward to, your, um, to your flu incident in, in 2016. You're about 25 or 26 years old at the time. And uh, you try some traditional tools and your mom, who's a traditionalist, tries to give you um, chicken soup as a, as a vehicle for helping you to improve and you're just not getting better, right? So they bring you to the doctor and they give you Tamiflu, right? Yes. And the Tamiflu, I was already in the situation where I had moved out. I lived on my own well, with some friends and I'm like, I'm not paying two or $300 from, for some medicine that they say might help. And my mom's like, I've never seen you this sick. I'm not somebody to push medicine. I don't even like you to take medication, but seeing how sick you are, maybe it's a good idea. So she purchased it for me. Um, I took the Tamiflu. I was not able to keep it down. So luckily now in knowing or learning a little bit more about the Tamiflu, I know that was probably a good thing. I wasn't able to keep it down. Well, again, the, the question really is, and let's talk about that. So why do you think it may have been good if you did not keep it down? And my concern is maybe you didn't, maybe you kept some of it down and maybe it was immunosuppressant, maybe it wasn't. But let, so let's explore that because Matt and I have been hearing a lot about Tamiflu this week. And so we don't think it's a coincidence that we're interviewing you this week. Talk to us about why you think it may have been a blessing that you didn't keep down the Tamiflu. So I'm a fixer, as I've kind of said. So once all this stuff started going on now and doing all this research, I read every book, I listen to all the podcasts, I do everything when you're that determined to get better. You know, it's almost, it's almost a bad habit in itself. Sometimes it's too much, but I know it's, it brings your immune system down. I've heard it causes seizures. I've just heard a lot of different horrible responses from people who've taken Tamiflu you know, contributing to autoimmune disease, just different types of things that this medication can really do. And they just push it and push it and push it out to people. Well, so here's, so here's really, you know, I think an important point for us to focus on, Amanda, why a lot of folks are, are uh, coming down or feeling uncomfortable with Western medicine, right? I mean, if, if we're using cookie cutter medication, uh, you know, if we're taking cookie cutter approach to treat people, um, then unfortunately, there are going to be a subset of people who are going to get sicker when we use the wrong medication, right? Because you walked in suffering from acute Lyme disease, right? Uh, and, and the symptomology of acute Lyme disease is very similar to flu. In fact, it's often called a summer flu, right? So when, when we walk into doctors and they give us a cookie cutter resolution to what are seemingly um, uh, you know, simple symptoms like the flu, in some cases, they will hurt us worse and help us. And in your case, you probably were hurt worse than you were helped because the Tamiflu was immunosuppressant and you were suffering from Lyme disease and a doctor never even considered that perhaps they should pause for a second before prescribing Tamiflu because maybe you should have been, uh, been prescribed um, an antibiotic 
or some other tool that would have been more uh, more appropriate for um, you know for what you were suffering. So talk to us about how things developed after you had this experience at the emergency room and you took the took the Tamiflu, which may or may not have um, you know had had an impact on your developing symptoms. So I think ever since I got the flu, that's when I mean everything. My life was turned upside down. So I had this flu that kind of slowly started to go away, but I was starting to get these crazy, scary symptoms. Um, I had been living on my own. I graduated at 17. I moved out at 17, very independent, doing my own thing. And all of a sudden, I mean, I had the worst panic attacks I've ever had in my life. Um, Very, I guess, psychiatric type of symptoms that I didn't know what was going on. I would just panic. My brain felt like it was going to explode. I didn't know what was wrong. I was 25, 26. I moved back in with my parents. And when I say I moved back in with my parents, I mean, I slept in their bedroom. I was scared to go to sleep. My heart would pound. My heart would race from doing nothing. My heart rate would get, at the time, I wore one of the smartwatches. My heart rate was 170, 180 from just doing nothing. Um, I continued to go to multiple doctors and it's just regular anxiety. It's all in your head. So at this point, I'm really starting to believe I have this crazy anxiety. Um, I'm getting ice pick pains in my head. My brain feels like it's on fire. I never had the major joint pain, but I would have a couple strange things. My pinky would blow up to the size of, I I mean, I don't even know. It would be huge. They would tell me it was from holding my phone. So I'm like, okay, all these weird random symptoms that just completely started. I was just so sick. I mean, I ended up being bed bound for a while. So, Amanda, give us some detail about how these developing symptoms uh, were impacting your life. You gave us the end piece, which was you were ultimately bedbound. But talk to us about how it was impacting you sort of on a day-to-day basis, first socially and then professional. So socially, it was really hard because people don't understand. I mean, even the people who tried to understand but didn't, that was huge for me because it totally changed. I would be invited to places. I stopped being invited by my friends to places because every time it's like, I'm sorry, I can't go. I don't feel well. So they're just assuming from there on out that I'm just never going to invite her because she always says no. My best friend till this day, I mean, she, now that she has something going on, she just apologized. Like, I am so sorry. I never really understood why you would always say no or why you couldn't go or so socially it was just, I mean, I I didn't really have a social life at that point. I was still working. I would roll out of bed, barely get ready, um, go to my call center that I worked at. I don't even know how I functioned. I don't, sometimes I don't even remember what I was typing, what I was saying, what I was doing. It, I had to completely cut back my hours at work. So it was affecting my social life, my job. I stopped playing softball. I stopped coaching softball. So it was, it was very depressing. I mean, everything completely flipped upside down. So, so Amanda, everything that defined Amanda, whether it be her friendships, her job, her athletic activities, her coaching, were being stripped from her. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I mean, I, my dad is a police officer, so he's used to staying up nights sometimes. So when he's home, I was sleeping in his bedroom, like making him touch me, touch my arm, touch my pulse. Like, I'm not going to sleep if you're going to sleep. So if you're going to go to sleep, I'm staying awake. I was scared to die in my sleep. I was so sick. I just didn't know where to go, where to turn, what to do. So, Amanda, how many different doctors did you treat with between when you first started having these symptoms in high school, these stomach symptoms, to now 
these chronic symptoms that are so bad that you've lost everything that would identify Amanda. And you're back at home in your parents' bed asking your dad to stay awake and keep an eye on you so that you're not going to die in your sleep. I kind of went back and counted and looked through some of the lab work and different stuff I had. I mean, I have this huge binder full of stuff. And it was probably 30, 40 doctors. I would say 50 urgent care visits, hospital visits. I mean, I went everywhere. They referred me to every different doctor. And I went because I thought, you know, there has to be something that they can do to help me. And were you ever diagnosed with anything during the course of the time you were on this, on this diagnostic journey? So I was just diagnosed with anxiety, panic attacks, um, chronic fatigue syndrome, and IBS. Okay. Now, did you believe first that you had any mental health issues? Meaning, did you buy into any of those diagnoses or did you know that the doctors were wrong when they were diagnosing you with uh, these mental health issues? So I think my saving grace with that would be my mom. She, my mom suffered a brain tumor when I was really young. So she's kind of always taught me, you know, your body, you need to be an advocate. Did I go down the rabbit hole of maybe having anxiety and panic attacks and something like that? Yeah, I did. But I think she was the one to really pull me out of that. Like, you know, your body better than anybody. Yes, you are suffering these things, but something's wrong. Something's not right. So that was kind of my... I guess, way of holding on to some sort of hope. Like these people who love me and see me every day just are like, this isn't you. Something is not right. It's physical. It's, it's not just mental. So you, so you, you came from a culture um, where your mom told you to believe what you were feeling, right? Your feelings are real. They're signals. They serve a purpose. And even though the people who you were treating with, you were trying to build a treatment or a diagnostic team, even though those people were telling you that what you were feeling was wrong because you were raised the way you were, were, you believed that these signals were real and you didn't allow the, the professionals that you were going to, to interfere with the signals that you were receiving. Yeah, that's correct. I think my perspective on Western medicine totally changed since going through that. I mean, the people you get 15 minutes in a doctor's office, and they tell you, oh, these are too many symptoms. I can't deal with this at once. You're going to have to schedule multiple appointments or you need to go to X, Y, and Z. And it, it just was getting exhausting. And just, I was totally being brushed off. Okay. So let's now talk about, uh, let's talk about your diagnosis. You finally were diagnosed with Lyme disease. How did that happen? So I think I found my natural path. Well, I did find her on Instagram through a friend. And I didn't know much about naturopathic doctors. I didn't know what to expect, but I see her posting about Epstein-Barr and all these things that come along with Lyme. Um, a few friends had mentioned, you probably have Epstein-Barr. So I kind of started going down that rabbit hole, which of course I ended up having because Lyme disease comes along with Epstein-Barr. Um, so I made an appointment with her. My wife and I went, it was about an hour from our house. We drove out there not knowing what to expect and really not even knowing what to think. We had a meeting with her and went over everything. And I mean, it was a shell shock when we saw what the cost was going to be, but she was the sweetest, nicest, most caring person in this whole entire journey that I've ever met. She hugged me. She told me she'll do everything to try and help me. So just that in itself was really important. I felt comfortable. I felt well. So we signed up for her program that day. Okay. And um, now, did you have any suspicions that you had Lyme disease before you were finally diagnosed? So I was playing a lot of Dr. Google and reading and 
doing everything that I could. I mean, I had major neurological issues, so it was kind of hard to, I guess, process what I was reading. I would try to do audio so I could try to listen and hear. And a few times Lyme disease came up, mold illness came up. So I asked my doctor about it and multiple doctors, oh, that, that doesn't happen here. That, you know, it's Arizona, we don't get that. But one doctor did actually test me um, and it came back negative at the time. So, so on this diagnostic journey, before you found your naturopathic doctor, you were, you were tested for Lyme disease and it came back negative. Correct. Do you know what test the doctor used and did the doctor suggest to you that the, the testing was not accurate in that Lyme disease in most cases needed to be diagnosed um, clinically? So this wasn't even actually my regular doctor. I was going, trying all kinds of different primary doctors and different things. And he was a very nice, sweet man. He ran everything that I asked for. Um, but he actually said, you know what? I don't even know the CPT code for this. I don't even know if this is the proper test. I've never ran this before. But because, you know, I see you're in my office crying, bawling your eyes out, asking me to run it. I'm going to do it for you. And looking back, I don't have those labs still, but it definitely wasn't a Western blot. There were not the 40 bands. It was just... A simple negative is all I saw. Okay. So, um, so you, something was telling you that you may have had Lyme disease and you were asking this doctor for a particular test. And he said, okay, I'll give you the test with the, with the caveat that he knew nothing about the testing and nothing about the disease. So um, what did that tell you after you got the negative test? Did you still think that Lyme was possible or were you writing off Lyme as um, as a diagnosis at that point and, um, and moving forward with trying to determine if you were suffering from something else. So at that point, I had no idea about Lyme disease. I'm thinking, you know, they test things in your blood and it comes back and that's the only answer it could be. Um, so I was continuing down my list, checking things off and my mom and I would do our research and read and try all these other different things. And then I came upon um, mold. So I was at the point living in my parents' house. My friends were still living in the house that we were renting. And I remembered we had a water leak under our kitchen sink. So I had asked them. And at this time, I didn't even know the proper mold testing either. I was so new and just trying everything, everything we could. We could. Um, so I had them go get some testing plates from Home Depot. And it came back with mold, sure enough. So now I know that that all adds to this issue. All right. So, and it certainly does. And it's important for us to focus on that, man, because one of the things we've learned from Dr. Rawls and actually Dr. Phillips, both of whom are experts in the Lyme community and authors, uh, that very rarely would someone go from a tick bite to an acute illness to a chronic illness. But there are circumstances where people will go from the bite to the acute to the chronic illness. And that is situations where there is immune disrupting events in their lives, such as mold. If you're living in a high mold environment where you have that microbe load suppressing your immune system, you could have suffered a tick bite and you could have become chronically ill in that very quick path. So let's focus on that for a minute. You're living in this, in this mold toxic environment that you didn't know you were living in at the time. Um, do, you, do you recall that you were engaging in some activity where you could have come in contact with a tick bite just before you got sick and you had that flu experience? So the only thing that I can remember um, is my best friend who lived with me had a son. He was about, I think he was about five or six at the time. And he had what looked like ringworm. That's what he was diagnosed with. So a few months later, 
I had something that looked um, kind of the same. So I just took it as, you know what, we live in the same house. I mean, I hug this kid, I probably just have a ringworm. But that was right around the time I had the flu and everything going on. So I don't know if that was my bite or if it was indeed the ringworm. So I do not remember seeing, you know, the bullseye and knowing 100% that that was a bullseye. And of course, one of the challenges, of course, with, uh, with um, you know, ringworm or any, any, um, any rash is that, you know, there are a number of different presentations of a Lyme rash. Many people don't get a rash at all, but in, in many cases, and we've heard this on our podcast repeatedly, people have had Lyme rashes, but they weren't a traditionally classic Lyme rash. And it has been misdiagnosed as ringworm, even by dermatologists. So that, you know, having made that personal misdiagnosis yourself or that personal assumption yourself would not, would not have necessarily changed even, even if you went to a doctor and had uh, a doctor take a look at that rash that you had at the time. So, all right, so Amanda, let's, let's move forward. You, um, you, you now, um, you now find a naturopath and you now get your diagnosis. How did the naturopath diagnose you and what tools did he, she, or they use to help you come to a conclusion that the prior doctor who had tested you for Lyme was wrong and that this doctor was now correct with the diagnosis. So we went forward with the treatment plan and she kind of targeted, she didn't tell me at the time and we've kind of become friends and she's like, I don't want to just test her for Lyme if there's these other underlying issues that are just bringing the immune system down. Sometimes fixing those issues will help the Lyme. So her plan all along was to kind of address the EBV, the Epstein-Barr, getting me on a more anti-inflammatory diet, gluten-free, dairy-free, all these things organic that we hear most of us Lyme patients eventually go on. So we worked on those for, I would say probably about six months. And I was definitely seeing a little bit of improvement, but we just weren't getting to where I wanted to be. So she said, okay, we're going to go ahead and do a Lyme test. We use vibrant labs, but she did tell me it was important to kind of provoke it a little bit before the test. So we did a lymphatic a lymphatic draining type of procedure. She did that on my body. And then she sent me right away to get my blood test. And at that point, I came back with Lyme disease and a few different co-infections. So Amanda, I find it interesting that your naturopath didn't want to address Lyme first. And she first wanted to look at Epstein-Barr virus when, to my understanding, Epstein-Barr virus is really an opportunistic virus that you get it after you have mono as a child and it becomes reactivated if your body is weakened or your immune system is weakened. So it seems like focusing on Epstein-Barr, which is probably the consequence of something else, is sort of the opposite approach that I would have taken. So I mean, what are your thoughts on that looking back? And I can't agree on that. Um, She is not a Lyme literate doctor. Um, She has a little bit of knowledge on testing for Lyme. Had actually a coworker, another doctor who worked in her office who had Lyme disease. So that's the only reason she had a little bit of background on it. Um, but now going forward, she actually married a man with Lyme disease. She's learned a ton. She kind of implements that now, but I absolutely agree with that. Knowing now, I wouldn't have gone for the Epstein-Barr first. So Amanda, talk to us about the Epstein-Barr treatment you got. So it sounds like you were addressing Epstein-Barr first before you even looked at Lyme. What was the treatment you got from your naturopath for Epstein-Barr virus? So Epstein-Barr virus kind of seems to be my uh, arch nemesis because I still struggle with the Epstein-Barr. It's chronic, active. It always seems to stay um, high, but I've done monolaurin. I've done 
Oh my gosh, what else did we do? Um, vitamin C, IVs, different types of things like that to try to target this virus. But my body loves to hold on to it, I think. So we're finding that reactivated Epstein-Barr virus is becoming something that is a pattern in a lot of chronic illnesses. So for example, COVID long haulers, they're finding that many of them have reactivated Epstein-Barr virus, and that's why they don't recover after having COVID. And with Lyme disease, in fact, we had Gina Vales, who's, a, who's this fitness guru, super healthy individual, who had Lyme, overcame it, was came down with COVID, and as a result, developed her reactivated Epstein-Barr virus and had to hit the Lyme and Epstein-Barr super hard. And when I say hard, I mean, she really went at it from a holistic approach pretty aggressively, and she's been making some major progress. So do you think that there's a pattern here where if Epstein-Barr virus comes on the table, that should be an indicator that something else is going on, whether it was a trigger from COVID or you have an underlying bacterial infection like Lyme disease and many of the co-infections and viruses that can go along with, with Lyme. Do you think that's a pattern that people should be aware of in, in probably more of a mainstream medical environment? Oh, absolutely. And in regards to that story, I can absolutely relate. I had Lyme. I was in the middle of my treatment, which we'll get to later. And I got COVID in the middle of my treatment. My whole entire family got COVID, but I was the only one to really, I mean, it knocked me back. I was in bed. I was bedridden. And now my Epstein-Barr levels are really high again. So I definitely think any type of virus activates my EBV and makes it worse. So let's pivot over now to your Lyme diagnosis. So thankfully you kept being persistent and this naturopath who really wasn't Lyme literate ran the test and it sounds like um, Vibrant Labs, it came back positive, correct? Yes, my Vibrant Lab came back positive for Lyme and some of the co-infections as well. Amanda, what were those co-infections? Do you recall which ones? Um, on that particular test, it was, I know Babesia was one of the main ones um, and Rickettsia I believe showed on that as well. I also did a hair analysis that came back with a few other things later on. All right, so let's let's definitely come back to the hair analysis as we get to that part of your journey. But I do want to I do want to focus on the provoking the bacteria before running the test, which we've heard before, and that I think is something that is really helpful. We know Lyme testing is not accurate, and many doctors will say to do things to bring out the, the bacteria before testing, so your body's mounting an immune response which gets picked up on these, on these blood panels that we get run for us for Lyme disease. So we've had people tell us that they will do exercises. They will jump on a trampoline to get their lymph, lymph system moving. They will do whatever they can to bring out, um, or you know, infrared saunas, for example, to bring it out and provoke it to come out into their bloodstream. So you mentioned you did this lymphatic drainage protocol before getting your test. Can you give us more detail exactly what did you do to provoke lymphatic drainage before your testing in case others think they might have Lyme or, or have a clinical diagnosis of Lyme, they can try this method before a test to try to get a positive lab work in front of them to prove they have Lyme disease. Yeah, absolutely. So leading up a couple of days to this lymphatic drainage that we did, we did infrared sauna. So she wanted me to make sure to do that. That's when I started. I mean, that's still a, a weekly practice for me, but that's kind of when all that started. We did the infrared sauna um, probably two or three days. And then she had a machine called a lymph star. Um, and it looks like two metal or it's like two metal with glass coverings. It's something even now I haven't heard of, you know, very often. She rubs it over my entire body, um, especially targeting like the fatty areas, your breasts, your stomach, um, uh, things like that. And then after that, she sent me right from there to do my blood work. 
So once you had the positive lab work, did you decide to treat with this naturopath or did you pivot over to a doctor who was more Lyme literate at this point? So I think it was kind of hard because I did stick with her for quite a while. Um, at that point, I still didn't know that much about Lyme disease. I cried because I was so happy. I finally had a, you know, some kind of idea of what was going on. I wasn't crazy. It's not just Epstein-Barr. It's not just this or that. And so that part was very, I don't know, that, that made me happy. But at that point, we still just kind of continued to treat the same and work on things. She told me I needed to address EMFs and that would be kind of the root of my issue. But obviously, I mean, there's definitely more to it. So when you say, it, obviously, can you expand upon that for our listeners? So EMFs are electromagnetic frequencies, I believe, which can have a harmful impact on, on the body. So by reducing these electromagnetic frequencies, it can allow your body to be in an environment where it can heal, I think is the idea behind that. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So she came over to my house and she had some different tools that I'm not super familiar with, but they're EMF readers. And she was kind of reading around the house and, okay, your smart TV gives off a lot. Your Roomba gives off a lot. Um, of these EMFs, here are some ways to kind of make this better, get the Roomba out of the house if you have to have it, plug it in the garage. Um, she provided me some dirty electricity plugs to kind of help with the dirty electricity in our house. Um, a huge thing that she asked us to do is unplug the router every night. Um, so at least when you're sleeping, they say, you know, if your router is unplugged, it helps you heal better because it pr produces so many EMFs. And that was kind of the extent of what we did. We just kind of tried to I, I, could, I can't go crazy. I mean, I work from home. I need some sort of internet and we do use Wi-Fi, but other than that, we kind of limited as much as we could. So Amanda, we, we had interviewed Jody Hudson, who's the mother of Alex Hudson and the, and the founder of the Alex Hudson Foundation. Um, and, and Alex was very sick. She developed MCAS and had severe electromagnetic frequency sensitivities. And she would say that when a cell phone charger was plugged into a wall near her, she would feel worse and be able to detect that increase in EMFs. So, from, and again, I know not everybody's like that, and that's probably the exception, but in your experience, were you noticing an improvement even at all or a little bit from t doing all these steps that your naturopath recommended you take? I don't honestly feel like I felt a major, I was still feeling so sick every day that nothing ever really changed. I didn't really have you know, sometimes people, when they leave their house, they feel better, or I, I didn't have those moments at that time. So yes, I had gradually, I guess, increased to a little bit better feeling, but it was still terrible. It's nothing a normal non-sick person would feel. So it was very hard to tell. And Amanda, you noted before you got your Lyme diagnosis, you had run a test and identified mold. So I guess the, the, the question I have for that is, what testing did you do specifically for mold? Because that's a very common question we get. And did you feel any better at that point at all when addressing the mold? So at that point, um, I had moved out, but I had asked the people living in the home to still run the test. At that point, I didn't know how reliable these Home Depot discs were that you put out on your house. And so now I know a lot more detail than what you should do. But at that point, it did come back with some, some high molds. Um, I was renting at that point. It was not my property. So they sent somebody in to do their remediation or so they say but all they did was cover it with another piece of wood and add bleach to it. So I ended up moving out of that home, but I did take my belongings because at that point I still didn't know how bad things were. So on that note, Amanda, it sounds like there's a couple of tears there and you've learned since then. 
But at a minimum, you went to Home Depot, you had your friend go to Home Depot and get these discs to test your mold. And you were, I guess, fortunate, but also unfortunate enough to learn you had mold in that home. And then you had moved out and taken your, your belongings with you. So I think at a bare minimum, people worry about costs and out-of-pocket expenses for things online because they can really add up. So a simple test from Home Depot could be a first step. And if not, then they can move on to something else maybe and try more targeted, specific, more better testing for mold. Um, but talk to us about that. So what other tests have you learned about for mold in, in your living space? And also, you know, why did you bring up the point of you brought your, your belongings with you? How does that play a role in, in mold and your healing journey? So we now have, I've gone through a couple of different houses. Of course, you hear everybody's horror stories. The next house you move to has some sort of mold. And that, of course, happened to me. Um, for a little bit of time, I saw a random doctor who provided me um, some tinctures. And I started to feel a little bit better. Um, I can't even recall what these they're called. But it's called, I know it's called Toxease GL. But I don't remember who the company was. But I was taking that. So obviously it was kind of lowering my toxic load, but at that point I didn't really know what I was doing. So I moved um, when I started feeling that little bit of energy, took all my belongings with me. We ended up having mold, but at that point we were building a home. So I told my wife, this is the point I got with my wife. And I told her like, we can't take everything. We need to really be a little bit better, do a little bit better. But still, even at that point, I still didn't know what I know today. So we still took the mattress from the first home. And it was in the guest room in our new home. Everything else was pretty much new. We had, we got a new mattress. Everything else was new. But one night we're like, I don't feel good, um, but we want to do something. Let's, let's have a little staycation in our guest room and watch movies. So we slept in that guest room and I was the sickest I had been in months. And she's the one who said, you know what? I bet it's that mattress. We, we're getting rid of that mattress. So luckily at this point, she just knows. I mean, anything like that, materialistic stuff doesn't matter anymore. It's hard. It sucks. I mean, it's, it's a ton of money, but we dragged it to the street. We threw it away. Um, I got the EC3 because at that point, I finally learned that that is something that really helps get rid of those uh, microtoxins in the air. So we sprayed the room, we lit the candles, and I haven't had a problem in that room since. So I think that that was it. So Amanda, talk to us about the EC3. Is that an air purifier that can actually that can actually purify mold that are mold-borne toxins in the air? So that is a company. Um, they provide candles, spray, laundry additive, and you can use it, you know, on carpets, on bedding, in your laundry. And I had seen it on social media. So I said, you know what, I'm gonna try this. I don't use chemicals in my house. Supposedly it's pretty natural. Um so I've started using that periodically through washes of clothes or when people come over and it's kind of been just part of our routine now. And so that will help eliminate mold possibly that can be in a mattress or on a rug or in your clothing, things like that. Correct. And I see people will put it in their showers or in their drains just to kind of try to maintain so I do, I do want to focus on this because mold is a really important topic. And so many people have talked to us and said, like, uh, we know somebody right now on Long Island who's going through mold remediation who's suffering from chronic Lyme. And I think a common mistake people make is they realize mold is important. They spend a ton of money to get testing done. They spend a ton of money to remediate the mold, but they don't realize that soft, poor surfaces like mattresses, like, you know, stuffed animals, like, like blankets, like comforters, whatever it may be those things can hold on to the mold. And even once you remediate the mold, you can still be exposed to it through these soft, porous surfaces 
that have the mold in it from pre-mediation times and you're not going to get better. So can you talk to us about that and, and what types of items you should really look at in a house when you're remedi remediating mold that unfortunately you might have to just throw out. I mean, we, we interviewed um, uh, many guests that have moved out of homes and thrown away all of their, their personal belongings just because they realized that it would continue to keep them sick if they didn't get rid of some of their belongings that had so much value to them that were sentimental objects. Yeah, and I'm still kind of continuing to learn as I go because, you know, as we did move, I, I got rid of anything porous, couches, bedding. Um, I mean, we did keep some towels and things along those lines, but when I moved, I still wasn't as aware as I am now. Um, I guess I don't feel the difference on major or little items, but the major stuff I felt. So the little items, um, I still spray them daily with the EC3 as I can and try to just try to limit that to see if that's part of the issue. But I know they say anything porous, you probably shouldn't take with you. Um, I know the hard surfaces, you can kind of try to clean and do your best, but I, I probably would have not brought anything if I would have known that that can still factor in or contribute. All right, so Mandy, let's go back to now um, where we are in your journey. So you have a Lyme diagnosis. Your naturopath is saying, if we address EMS, you're going to feel better. You do a ton of things like addressing, you know, the, the dirty electric, you're unplugging your router, and all things that are good for your general health and allowing your body to be in a place to heal. But obviously that wasn't enough, right? So once you realized I did everything that I was told to do, I'm not feeling better. What were your next steps at that point? So I was seeing some, some progress and difference. I had gained a lot of weight, like a lot of Lyme patients do for no reason. I mean, I didn't eat totally unhealthy, but now I know a lot more about nutrition. So I had gained a ton of weight working with her, changing my diet, the inflammation, that was a huge game changer. So I was seeing a little bit of progress, but it still wasn't enough. I think around that time, that's actually when I came across this, this podcast. So I was listening to, I, I can't, let me think. I don't remember what month it was, but I heard Ashley Bellinger's podcast. And I said, that's the place to be. I have to go to Limestop. This, I really resonate with this, with this woman. She's saying my, I think it was her cousin. Somebody had Lyme and went to Limestop. And she's like, I thought they were crazy. It doesn't sound like anything that's going to work. But at that point, I'm like, I'm detoxing like crazy. I'm taking every supplement. I'm eating gluten-free, dairy-free. There's nothing more that I know that I can do. Um, so I heard her podcast and I said, I'm going to try that. So I called them up and I'm kind of a, I'm just kind of a doer. When I want something, I just do it. It was expensive. I figured it out. I scheduled an appointment that day and that's kind of my road to Limestop. All right. So Amanda, before I definitely want to focus on Limestop and we're so happy you listened to the podcast and you were inspired by Ashley Bellinger and it seemed like that really helped you and we'll get there. But there's two things I want to address before that. So the first one is you talked about diet and detox. So you know, I, I was in a very similar boat where I didn't realize the role that certain foods played in, in inflammation and not allowing your body to heal. So what tips and tricks did you learn from your naturopath to change your diet to just reduce inflammation and allow your body to be in a better position to heal? So at that point, it was still kind of just basic changes, no gluten, processed foods, um, doing our best to buy. I don't eat red meat. I've never really been a fan. So it's usually it's just been chicken. So she said that that's probably a better option anyway. So you're not getting that digestive, more digestive issues. So it was just pretty much chicken and vegetables is what I really changed to. I don't do caffeine, um, anything like that. So just changing low anti-inflammatory foods. So let's expand upon that a little bit more. So I myself used to drink coffee regularly before I got sick. 
And now I'm on a strictly herbal tea. I mean, it's water and herbal tea for me, honestly. And I know caffeine, it just isn't good for me. I don't feel well when I drink caffeine. But so what are some of the reasons that things like caffeine and dairy and sugar, I guess, you know, let's, let's identify a list of foods that can be inflammatory and aren't good for Lyme disease. So I've absolutely learned so much um, just in my journey. I haven't personally noticed besides caffeine, anything that actually gives me I guess, a response or an issue that I can pinpoint, but definitely with caffeine, I have heart palpitations. I feel like I'm having a heart attack. Um, the heart palpitations are so hard. I can't even do anything hardly or focus. I know dairy is very, very inflammatory. So she told me it'd be really best to cut that out. So I did, um, cheeses, milks, everything. We, we don't do any of that at this point. Um, and I'm trying to think no sugar, no refined sugar at all. That is the only one that I kind of can notice. I feel inflamed the next day if I have refined sugars. So Amanda, now let's pivot over to detox because you did mention you had a, you have a pretty rigid detox protocol that you were on with your naturopath before going over to LimeStop as well. So what specifically were you doing to detox while you were doing all the other things? So we were doing that lymph star machine. Like I, like I mentioned, I was doing infrared sauna at least two times a week. Um, I think in my healing, that was probably one of the main things that I would feel after I got out or the next day, like, oh, I have maybe a little bit of energy. I think it was getting enough toxins out to kind of help me. Um, we were doing ionic foot baths, um, some massage binders. Um, but I think the infrared sauna is what really was the best tool for me. I mean, I still use that. All right. So now I just want to be clear. So between the diet all of your detox tools, the EMF reductions, and, and all the other things that you were doing. It sounds like that, those are the key three areas, diet, EMFs, and detox. You made a little bit of progress, but you said, I'm still not feeling much better. And that's when you went over to LimeStop, correct? Absolutely. I mean, I probably started with a 70 symptoms, maybe after doing these three changes, I had, I don't know, maybe 60, 50. So it was making a little progress, but still nowhere near livable but you're a doer, you're an action taker. So that's not enough, right? You're like, all right, I'm going to, this is, I, I cut back 10 sim symptoms, but I have 60 more to go. You listen to the Tick Bootcamp podcast, you hear Ashley Bellinger and you go to Lime Stop. And we're really excited to hear about how that went for you. So I started to research Lime Stop as soon as I made my appointment, um, because of course they book you, I think I was six months out and I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, am I going to make it to this appointment? I don't even know how I can live, live like this anymore. I was just fed up. I had tried a few online social media doctors that, you know, deal with Lyme disease and mold and EBV in between just to kind of try to have, you know, something going on until Lyme stopped. Nothing really worked. And um, they were, I think we were using Cellcore products and it just triggered me so bad. I think I was having too much toxins come out. I was having Herxheimer reactions and just very sick. So fast forward to October of last year. Um, it was a journey. We're in Arizona. Limestop is in Idaho. I believe there's also one in Wisconsin, but the man who, who started it is Dr. Smith and he's in Idaho. So my dad took a week off of work, actually my whole family and my wife and my poor wife, I think was six months pregnant at that time, something like that, four or five, six months pregnant. So it was a miserable drive. And I remember we all packed up and we had to let Limestop and, um, the treatment started. It's a two day treatment process. And I think at that point, do 
So it's a two-day treatment process. When you get there, um, they use magnets to kind of use your body's own immune system to target the infections. He also uses CBT therapy, which is um, a laser on your brain for neurological issues. So they go through and I had a ton. I mean, I think I had 50 infections when I first started. So talk to us more. I know in the past people have told us that some of the things that they use at LimeStop are more proprietary. And I think that that makes people anxious because there are so many snake oil salesmen in the Lyme community looking to take advantage of people that are chronically ill. So LimeStop has helped many people we've talked to on, on this podcast and, and just in general in the community. But a, almost everybody we talk to says they don't give enough information to make me feel confident that they're going to be able to help me. So how, how did you... How did you deal with that, I guess, is the question, right? It, was it just faith that you said, you know what, I don't really fully understand what's going to be done to me, but others have had success and I'm going to give it a try? Because that's turned a lot of people off. And I think, unfortunately, so because there's a lot of benefit to LimeStop. So I think I was definitely living on some hope there. I mean, it's a very non-traditional, non-invasive treatment compared to people who do stem cells or ozone or these other more invasive treatments. But these are the nicest people you'll ever meet from the moment you walk in the door. I mean, just friendly faces. They make you feel comfortable. They hug you. They go over everything in detail. And it sounds crazy. These magnets are on your body and you're using your body to heal yourself. Um, it, it does sound crazy. And I was just living on, I guess, hope and faith and the doctor's word at that point. But they do make you feel very comfortable and they promise to do their best. And the doctor is very honest and upfront. If he thinks he can help you, he will tell you. If he thinks there's something that he doesn't know, he will tell you he doesn't know. And I really respect that because other doctors think they know it all or they talk about these different things. And then they're like, oh, you could never have that. Or I know how to treat that. Or he, he's just a very honest man. And it was a really good experience. So Amanda, let's drill in more on some of this stuff. So you mentioned that you've had 50 infections when you went to Lyme stuff. How did you know that? So he does muscle testing, which to me, that was the first time I've experienced it. I know I've heard on, heard of it on some of the podcasts and seeing some of these social media doctors, but they basically test you with vials against your body with muscle testing. So he goes through your entire body, basically from head to toe and finds all these different infections. And he does label them a little bit different on, on what he finds. So some things are common, like we know Babesia or the Lyme disease and different parts of your body, but he has, he finds blood viruses. He found Epstein-Barr. I did not provide him with any background. I didn't give him any lab work, blood work, nothing. And he found, I kind of did that on purpose because the things I knew I already had, I wanted to see if he found, and he did. So let's go over some more detail here because we, we recently heard about biomagnet from one of our guests. And it sounds like that the doctor at Limestop Dr. Smith uses muscle testing to identify what infections you have. And then part of the treatment is he uses biomagnetism to treat. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And he, he explains it as it's basically bringing awareness for your body to treat that part of the infection. Right now, your body's so in fight or flight that it's just looking everywhere. It doesn't know where to start. And he kind of does it. it to my understanding, it goes in the order of importance. So, yep, and we've heard that same thing where it literally will, the muscle testing will result in the thing you need to address first, and then you're going to treat that with biomagnetism first. And then once you treat that using biomagnetism, the next thing pops on the muscle testing, and then you treat that, and it prioritizes what you need to treat first and last. 
But I think you said something powerful here, which, which is really relying on your body's own healing power. And I want to make sure I, I understood it correctly. So did you say that it allows you to bring awareness to your body to treat, to treat these things um, you know, on its own? Is that what, kind of what you're saying biomagnetism is? So absolutely. That's how they explained it to us. Um, it brings that awareness to that particular point. I mean, for example, he found Epstein-Barr, um, I believe he found it in my liver. That was one of the spots where, okay, it's going to bring awareness here and work on it and start to lower these infections. He also uses supplements to kind of work alongside. They also, um, they also have you do major detox as well. So I'm just trying to get a picture here of all the components of biomagnetism before we go on to the CBT and, and other topics of Limestop. So it sounds like it's, there's, it's multifaceted, that you're using supplements to boost your body and your immune system and help also kill some of these things that you got going on in these infections. Then you're actually bringing awareness to your body so your body can naturally focus the immune system on targeting these things that are going on in your body. And then the third piece is the biomagnetism itself actually will kill the bacteria, right? So is that, is that, is that accurate? To my understanding, that is exactly it. I mean, there's still a little bit unknown for me, but seeing the progress I've made, I'm just like, you know what, this guy's a miracle worker. And that's, that's what I took from it. And that's exactly how I um, understood it. So with the biomagnetism, we know, obviously, it helped bring awareness to your body to treat these infections. But the other part of that is, it actually will kill the infections as well. How does it do that? So how do these magnets being placed on your body actually kill infections in the human body? Um, with that one, I really just trusted what he said. I, to be honest with you, don't even know at this point. I always, this is my analogy to everybody. If, if a doctor told me eating a scorpion was going to help me at this point, I'd do it. So <laughs> I trusted this guy. I mean, he made me feel welcomed. He prayed with me. He hugged me. He, he made me feel like a human, unlike all these, a lot of these other doctors. So I, I just trusted him. I trusted his story. I trusted all these testimonials I read online. So I just went with it. I had my whole family in there. My dad's looking at me like I'm crazy. Like, what is this guy doing? But, you know, even now they're kind of like, okay, there's something to this. So beyond, beyond the muscle testing, which then results in the biomagnetism, um, having supplements off to the side, and then also bringing awareness to your body to treat the infections, you talked about CBT therapy, which is part of Limestop's protocol as well. So it sounds like that is using laser therapy to address pathogens in the brain. Is that correct? Yeah. So he uses that for any neurological issues. He found Borrelia in my brain, which it was the cause of a lot of the neurological issues. So you go under this, it's like a laser and you wear these sunglasses and you sit there for a few minutes. He sets his little settings. I don't know what that goes off of, but he has his little magic code. He puts it in there and you sit there for a few minutes each visit. So CBT, do you know, do you know what CBT stands for, Amanda? Oh my gosh. I can't, it's something brain training. I don't remember. So I think is, is it cognitive behavioral therapy? Is that correct? Is that sound right? Um, that does sound familiar. So I'm just doing a quick Google search here and it sounds, it sounds like CBT therapy is it's based on the concept that your thoughts and feelings and physical sensations can actually be interconnected and that negative thoughts and feelings can trap you in a vicious cycle. So does this laser therapy sort of like get your brain out of, out of a loop that it gets stuck in? and then reset your brain to then be in a more of a healing mode rather than this vicious cycle of, you know, uh, of harmful uh, neurological pathways? 
So I absolutely know a lot more now about brain retraining. I don't know specifically that the laser he uses focuses on that, but they do recommend after, you know, their services, if you are stuck in flight or fight to kind of move to maybe and try some brain retraining as well. So I would imagine it probably has something to do with that. So is there anything else at LimeStop that, that um, you can share with us? So obviously you have the, two, the, the key parts of muscle testing, biomagnetism, and the CBT therapy with the laser. Was there any other therapies besides obviously supplementation that you mentioned as well that you received at LimeStop that are noteworthy for our audience? So I wouldn't say it was a therapy, but I was really a believer when I've never seen, I know parasites now are a huge part of Lyme. No one's ever really addressed parasites to the effect that LimeStop did. He tells me to do these crazy moves. I'm putting my hand above my head, upside down. He's putting magnets on my stomach and telling me I'm going to see these worms come out. And I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, at this point, I'm still trying to have the faith and believing, but I'm just kind of like, okay, I don't know how this magnet here and the, my hand on top of my head is going to do this. So, and, and I tell you two weeks later, I had the craziest, whatever they are, tapeworms, parasites, everything coming out of me. So at that point, I'm like, you know, okay, there's something to this. He knows what he's talking about. And that was kind of my turning point to see those. So I'm trying to get a visualization here, Amanda. So it sounds like you hand on your hand on your head, like for some reason, I, I don't know if you said this or not, this is my brain taking it too far. You're upside down and he's got magnets on you. And two weeks later, all of these parasites and worms come out of you. Is that, so if you could just maybe give well, us a, a recap of that, you know, a better visualization so you can clarify my probably made up scenario in my head. Uh, you're pretty close. It'd be pretty cool to be upside down, but my hand is upside down on my head. It's something to do with the, and you know what, forgive me. I don't know the science behind this, but something with the negative charge and positive charge and the different sides of your hands, I believe and it works with the magnet. So my hand is upside down on my head. I'm standing up right. And he has magnets in certain parts of my body. So that's kind of how this treatment goes. I mean, my little sister's 13. She's in this room like, oh my, what did you pay for? This is the weirdest thing I've ever seen putting me on her Snapchat. And what is this? What is this lady doing? But <laughs> I mean, but it's, it works. Yeah, it it's working. So and I think it all comes down to that this, our, our bodies are made up of electricity. And I think there's a lot of stuff we still don't fully understand, but can have a really powerful impact in our bodies to heal. And using electrical frequencies with magnets and using electrical frequencies with our, with our hands in certain positions, we are able to then allow our bodies to purge things like parasites. And parasites we've been learning, Rich and I have been talking about this, parasites have become a topic that, uh, of recurrence for the past month. And they, they play a major role in people staying sick when they have chronic Lyme disease. In fact, LymeDisease.org did an article about um, you know, what factors keep people sick with chronic Lyme disease. And I think one of the five were, well, it was one of, one of several, I think it was five, were parasites. So talk to us about what types of parasites you were expelled. And not, not to get TMI here, but if you're comfortable, share with us, was it how you expelled them? Because we've heard of people expelling parasites from their nose, from their ears, you know, pooping them out, you know, all kinds of different crazy ways. So Walk us, walk us through that and give us some more detail of that. Oh, it's okay. I'm not shy. My family's going to laugh when they hear this because, you know, I'm sending them pictures and like, what is this thing? I mean, is this, you know, my mom saw one and she's like, that thing looks like it has eyes, like it's alive. And um, the only thing that I know for sure that was coming out and it was only when using the restroom for me were liver flukes um, and worms. I mean, balls of worms. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> And Amanda, what do they look like? So liver flukes and worms. 
describe to us the difference between the two and how they look because so many, and I know it sounds weird, but so many people are taking herb, you know, these herbal parasitic protocols and they're finding things and they're like, what is this, right? So I think the more detail you can give us can be helpful for people to identify what they're purging. Oh, my mom's going to kill me for talking about this on here. She's like, yeah, how do you send this to me? And obviously it was a cleaned up picture and everything was cleaned up, but the worms are just these long, giant, slimy things that kind of form in a ball. And the liver flukes, honestly, I've seen those before and I thought they were just food, not digesting, but the liver flukes look like almost like um, the skin of a tomato or a bell pepper. So liver flukes are like the skin of a tomato. That's, that's, um, that's, a, that's a very good, I think, description of it because I've been studying this a little bit, not to be gross. And that's a very accurate description, I think, from photos that I've seen of, of liver flukes. So share with us, share with us now, have you done anything else to address parasites or is it just the treatment of livestock that allowed you to purge all of these wild parasites? So with any other doctor, I mean, they've kind of touched on, oh, you might have parasites or whatever. But with Limestop, they also provide you a cell core product called um, Para-1, I think it's believe, or Para-1. So that's part of the treatment as well. But I didn't start taking those until they already started coming out. So someone could argue like, oh, you know, it's from that. But I was honestly so scared to take that. I thought I was going to live in the restroom, but it's not like that. It was just an easy detox. And that was the most noticeable. It's the weirdest, grossest thing ever. But at that point, it kind of was like, okay, this is working. Like whatever he told me, there's something working, whether it completely works or not, you know, something's coming out. All right. So now let's go back to your symptoms. You had 70 symptoms. They're down to 60. You go to Limestop. You're at Limestop, I think you have two weeks, Amanda? So for Limestop, it's actually a really short treatment. We were there for so long because it was a 17 hour drive, but it's a two or three day process. It's five appointments. Um, there, the first appointment's about an hour. The rest are only 30 minutes to 15 minutes, the quickest thing. And then you go back four months later for a follow-up and that's only a 30 minute appointment. So when you left Limestop, were any of your symptoms gone at that point? So you went from 70 to 60, you leave Limestop, where's your health at at that point? So leaving Limestop, I didn't really know what to expect. I had a little bit of energy. I was able to walk the park and kind of check out some of the stuff there with my family, which sometimes isn't, sometimes I can't, sometimes I can't even walk through the grocery store. So that was, that was nice, but I didn't have the amazing healing that a lady walked it. I was in there in a wheelchair and she could walk when she left. I mean, I've heard these amazing testimonials. I didn't have that. I went through the major detox. Um, everyone always asks, you know, they're scared to go because of the detox period. But I can tell you, I, I didn't experience anything that I haven't experienced before. It's just retracing to re bring back some of those old symptoms as they're leaving your body is kind of how they explained it as the infections are leaving your body. So I definitely had some old symptoms that I've never had, or I haven't had in a long time, I should say, because my symptoms have always been ever changing. Um, and about, let me think. I think it was about the eight week period as I finally started to feel a little bit of something. Uh, my, my brain fog lifted just a little bit. I could think I wasn't putting my cell phone in the refrigerator, calling it, trying to find it. So a little bit of my brain fog lifted. So that to me was huge. I mean, I've always felt like I'm, I'm in a movie or I don't know. I mean, I find myself slapping myself in the, in the face lightly in the mirror. Like, am I real? Is this happening? Um, I was in such a bad fog. So I said, okay, maybe this is working. Um, it didn't, let me, we went to our four month follow-up, even at that point I had gotten COVID in between then. So at this point, I don't know what's COVID. I don't know 
what's still Lyme. I had major pots. I could hardly walk, but I'm like, I have to go back. I believe in these people. This is going to work. So I went back. He found COVID antibodies in me. So he even tests for that. Um, he did a little bit of a treatment. He has some kind of pressure or it's like almost like an acupressure point that he also treats for COVID. So he did that on me as well. And even at that point, that is usually people's turning point around the four month mark, but I still wasn't feeling, I guess, even 50% better. My major turning point was around eight months, um, eight or nine months. My brain fog is completely gone. My neurological issues are almost gone. Those are the main ones. Um, at this point, I believe I probably only have about five to seven major symptoms that I'm still trying to work out. So for me, that's huge. I mean, I probably feel 60% better. So it took you about eight months after Lyme Stop to get down to seven symptoms and your your brain fog and your neurosym your brain fog and your neurosymptoms were gone at this point, it sounds like. So do you think, and I know it's such a hard question because you do so much, but do you think that the did that Lyme stop is the credit for this? Or do you think were you doing other things as well in the interim? I think Lyme stop is definitely um, the icing on the cake. I've been doing all these other things. I mean, for years, I didn't see this major, I haven't changed anything except for going to Lyme stop and taking the supplements they've given me, but some of those supplements I've taken before. So I definitely think, you know, that's caused major, major change. I mean, it's great. So just, just to repeat that, because I think it's really powerful. When you went to Lyme Stop and for the eight months after, you didn't do anything different other than what Lyme Stop did for you and the supplements they put you on and whatever you were on before that really wasn't working. And that's what got you eight months later from 60 symptoms down to five, five-ish and your brain fog and your neurosymptoms were almost completely gone. Absolutely. And I think the importance of it is some people go there and they're not ready to change their diet or do the detox or whatever the case may be, because they do put you on a strict diet. They do put you on this detox, but I had already been doing that for so long that that portion of it wasn't a huge change or hard for me. I was doing Epsom salt baths, the infrared saunas, eating healthy. Um, so, so that part of it for me was easy. So when you say the detox part of Lime Stop, and that's what people get really afraid of. Do you mean, are you talking about like the herxing that occurs as a result of killing the pathogens? Is that what you're speaking of? So yeah, absolutely. At Lime Stop, I don't know. They just refer to it on all their paperwork and, and talking as their detox period, but it is almost like herxing. Um, but again, like I said, I see so many people on this. There's a Facebook group to kind of read about Lime Stop and learn about it and a support group. And so many people post on there that they're so scared because they're scared of this detox, uh, herx reactions that might happen after, but almost everybody that I've talked to, they didn't have anything worse than they've ever experienced before. It's just retracing to back to some of those old symptoms that are uncomfortable and you don't particularly care for. And Amanda, I think what you're saying is so powerful because I can tell you, you know, that fear is real and many people are afraid to go to Limestop because of this detoxing. But I feel like no matter what you do to treat, you're going to have this retracing, which I think is a really powerful term you gave us today. So, you know, the protocol I'm on is, is, uh, is, for, is having me do that as well. And I was so afraid to go on to it thinking, you know, I can't afford to go backwards because I have to be able to work. I have to be able to continue to do tick boot camp. But if anything, I feel better. Today, I'm three months into the, 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 to the full protocol. And, you know, Rich and I talk about this regularly. I experience what you call retracing, where symptoms from five years ago that I haven't had in probably four and a half years are coming back. And, and then you get a little freaked out, but then they go away and you feel better. 
It's almost like these symptoms are coming back as they're leaving you because it's bringing all this old deep down stuff out as you're getting rid of it. And I, whether it's whether it's LimeStop or another effective protocol, I think that's part of the healing process to get these things that are deep rooted out of your body. So for anybody listening who has that fear, it's not as scary as it sounds. I think, Amanda, you would agree. And it's a necessary part to heal. And you're not going to have this major setback where you're going to get bed bound again. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I kind of live by that now. And I agree completely with that. I mean, I have medical anxiety and fear at this point. And going into this, I mean, that is another huge symptom that I forgot to mention. I had major, I would wake up out of my sleep with these major panic attacks and anxiety and my heart just pounding. And since then, I don't have that anymore. So it's actually helped to lift some of that fear off my shoulders. So I think a lot of that is, you know, our brain and the trauma we've been through. So your, your anxiety is gone as a result of LimeStop as well? I, I wouldn't say completely gone, but at least 90% better. And I'll take that because that was one of my, the neurological and the brain stuff is very hard to, as most people can agree, deal with and work with. I mean, I would have to tell myself sometimes like how to tie my shoe. I would have to really think it through or basic, simple things like walking. I would have to, okay, one foot in front of myself, like I can do this. So man, it sounds like LimeStop is pretty low risk because it's not anything that's crazy that can really harm you in any way, with the exception of maybe having some of these Herxing reactions, which are, to your point, nothing you haven't experienced before with the retracing process. So one of the things that Dr. Rolls always talks about is when exploring new therapies to treat chronic Lyme, you want to look at risk and cost. So the risk is pretty low for LimeStop, but where does LimeStop land and the cost parameter of assessing a new treatment protocol? So compared to the things that I've tried, I mean, I don't think it's crazy. It's $3,500. I don't know if they've changed that, but it is a $500 down payment. And then you pay the rest when you're there. That includes um, all five treatments plus the follow-up four months later, plus four months worth of supplements. So, I mean, we've spent almost $10,000 just going to a naturopath. So to me, I, I don't think it's, it's worth it. And it's non-invasive. You're not going to another country. You're not getting your veins pricked or I think everybody should try it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But it's one of those things that if it does work, it's non-invasive. And in comparison to other therapies, we've heard people spend, you know, we've had people treat with some of the best Lyme doctors in the world and spend $60,000 in three months and not get any better. So when you're talking 3,500 bucks, and that includes five treatments, your initial consult, supplements and your follow-up, I think that's pretty affordable considering a lot of the alternatives to, to try and the risk is pretty low. So before we move away from LimeStop, is there anything else you want to touch on on LimeStop that can help our listeners who are considering going to LimeStop as a potential tool to help them heal from Lyme disease? Um, I definitely know that there is, it's on YouTube. I can't remember the exact name, but Dr. Smith, if you just look him up with LimeStop, he did a great podcast. Um, with somebody who does have Lyme disease, but never had major symptoms. He kind of explains his journey and what he went through and kind of the same as everybody going into it. I didn't know what to expect. And through his detox period, he did feel symptoms. He did feel things coming out that he hasn't had or felt. So it was a really good podcast to kind of get me prepared and know what to expect, know this works and, you know, just, and he's also featured in a book as well. So if you look up LimeStop, they have all those different tools and things you can kind of look up prior and know a little bit more about the process. So I also want to talk to you about brain retraining, because I know from our offline discussion, you are using the vital side brain retraining to heal your limbic system. So talk to us a little bit about how 
that got put on your radar and how it's been going for you? So in a lot of these groups, and even in my LimeStop group, I'm posting, you know, I do feel a lot better, but here are my, you know, five to seven remaining symptoms that are still bad. These are still some of the bad ones that I really want to see go away. What are you guys doing for these? Who's still experienced these? Or what, you know, what is your, your solution with that? So a lot of people suggested brain retraining. Um, a friend actually sent me the Gupta program just to kind of get an idea before I purchased the um, like the whole paperwork and the guidebook and did all that. Cause these are expensive. I mean, they're three, $400 and to someone that may not sound a lot, but people who are treating and we're spending thousands and thousands of dollars on supplements and all these different things that adds up. So I kind of took a look and I just couldn't follow the program. It wasn't modern, nothing against Gupta. I've heard amazing things. People have great success. And I looked at the DNRs pro DNRS program and I'm a more modern person. I have to be interested in what I'm reading or what I'm listening to, or it just doesn't resonate with me. So I guess with kind of looking through this stuff, Lindsay from the vital side pops up on my, on my Facebook or Instagram. I can't remember. And she was so lively and vibrant and her energy was just great. And it, it, I guess it just, I felt that more than these other programs I had looked into. So I looked into her program. I watched her little video on her story. She actually had Lyme disease and healed with brain retraining. I have a friend who actually healed herself completely with brain retraining, who was wheelchair in a wheelchair. So I'm like, I have to try this. So I started the program. It's about, um, I can't remember how long the training period is. I think it's, it's a few weeks um, that you need to at least, you have to at least do the few weeks of this program before you start doing it. And they promise within about six months, you'll see results. So I've been working that I do it now with having, you know, a nine month old baby, it's pretty hard, but these are things I can do when I'm taking a bath or when I'm in bed, going to bed. And I do these practices and lots of visualizations of seeing yourself and what you want to do. And since doing these and Lime Stop, I mean, it's not anywhere where I used to be, but I get to go to the park every morning and go for a walk, whether it's a two minute walk or a 10 minute walk. It's something that I was not able to do. So I think the brain retraining is huge. Your brain's just been stuck on uh, fight or flight for so long that it doesn't know how to heal sometimes. So Amanda, Lindsay and Vital Side are, are I think, great. We, we actually are going to be interviewing Lindsay in a few months. We have her scheduled. And she has some really great videos on TikTok that are really powerful to watch. Anybody listening who's interested in brain retraining, we encourage them to go check out Lindsay and, and Vital Side on, on TikTok and even Instagram to, to explore some of the fun content she creates to show why brain retraining is so powerful in the, in the healing process. But I want to follow up because you said within six months, they generally say you're going to be seeing some great results. How long have you been doing this program for? So I think I started it after my... Oh my gosh, I can't even remember. I knew we were going to go on a vacation in July. So I started it six months before that July vacation because I'm like, okay, I want to see myself on the beach. I want to be able to walk to the beach, at least to get to the beach and just relax and hang out there every day. So those were kind of part of my visualizations and what I work towards. And I was able to do it. Like, I really feel like, I, I don't know that just by testimonials, I know it help, heals people completely, but I do think it helps. It's getting, helping my brain get back set and to some normalcy. And I think, Amanda, a lot of people have been discredited by the medical community and told it's all in your head. You're not really sick, right? And I can tell you three years ago, I would have been triggered if somebody said to me, hey, look, it's all in your brain. We could do some brain rewiring and you're going to feel better. I would have been like, you're crazy. I have, I have an, an infection. You're out of your mind. And I would have been very, very triggered by that. 
But I think it's important to really be open to this. And, and you know, or again, understandably so, based on the way we've been treated for so long to get a diagnosis, we're very sensitive to that. But I think we have to be able to get through that and realize that brain rewiring isn't saying it's all psychological. It's saying that's one piece to your healing. Yes, you have, in your case, 500 infections or had 500 infections. Yes, that's really important. But things that, that brain rewiring can do, like I'm looking at, at um, um, it's my vital side on TikTok. It's at my M-Y-V-I-T-A-L-S-I-D-E. It's Lindsay, Lindsay Mitchell. She talks about real chemical-based reactions in your brain, which do not allow your body to heal from infection. So for example, your body may have an increased production of cortisol, which means you're stuck in fight or flight. If you're in that mode, you will not be able to heal from real physical infections. So I want to be clear, this is not saying it's all in your head. This is allowing your brain to get unstuck out of that, that neurological pathway to allow your body to heal from everything you've been, you've been sick with. Yeah. And I absolutely agree with that. I mean, the limbic system and learning more, I, I would have felt the same exact way if someone would have told me to do this at the beginning of my journey and being diagnosed. And it's not about it being in your head. It's just your body is so used to being and I don't even like the word sick, but your body is so used to having all these symptoms and it doesn't know what to do when you don't have those symptoms. So it's kind of stuck in that mode. And she is very enthusiastic. She explains things well. Her videos are easy to follow. She's been through this. And the thing that really resonated with me is I think she was a, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on her position, but she was a physician's assistant. So this isn't just some, you know, random lady off the street who, made this brain retraining. She has some Western medicine education. She's been through Lyme disease. So that really, that really made it that much more for me. For sure. And so Amanda, give us an idea of what improvements you have seen using brain retraining, uh, you know, and, and some things that were, were lingering that have been able to, to get a little bit better. And you mentioned, you know, you can walk now for a couple minutes every morning, maybe 10 minutes and go to the park, but what symptoms specifically, whether physical or emotional, have been alleviated as a result of the My Vital Side program? So I think I still have a lot of fear around not feeling well, or am I going to be able to get through this event? Or if I go to the grocery store, am I going to be able to walk, get what I need, go through the cashier and get to the car before I just can't stand up any longer? So I think a lot of the fear based around, am I going to be able to do this? Um, I do her visualizations. I listen to an audio recording before like an event. If I have a special event that I really want to go to or I need to be there and I'm feeling anxious about how I'm going to feel or a certain symptom, I'm still experiencing like involuntary movements and twitching a lot, um, Bell's palsy type of stuff. So those I really retrain and I focus around and I think it helps to calm my mind before I go to an event. And most of these I've been able to make it through. So Amanda, one question I forgot to ask you is I know from our offline discussion that you're planning on going back to Limestop. So you mentioned, you know, you talked to us earlier about it's, a, it's an initial consult, you get your five treatments, you go back four months later, you get your supplements for the 3,500 bucks. Why are you considering or why are you planning on going back to Limestop? Like what is the thought process behind that? Is that, is that normal for people to go back on a regular basis to sustain the level of healing that they've been able to, to get out of the initial program? So I know a lot of people, their symptoms are pretty much alleviated after that four month follow up. But there's also people, um, as I mentioned before, Ashley Bellinger, like I've be we've become social media friends and we talk periodically. And I know she had to go back. Oh, I'm on the spot here, but maybe six or seven times before her infections were completely healed. There's some people that just hold on to those infections. I'm still 
and I, I think for me, COVID played a major role because I got COVID in the, between my treatments. So some of these things that I'm experiencing, I don't know if they're long haul or if they're still Lyme specific or co-infections. Um, and to my understanding, Dr. Smith now tests for the spike proteins from COVID and he has a point for those. And um, since COVID, I'm experiencing a lot of things that can be considered Lyme and that I've dealt with in the past, or maybe they are still from the long haulers. So I want him to check that out and just continue to treat. I know um, a few of the members go back once a year just to kind of stay clear, try to keep their infections, make sure they didn't pick up anything new. Um, and they're very reasonable. At that point, they only charge you for whatever infection they find and treat. And sometimes you would think, you know, going to a doctor's office, they're going to they're going to just find something so they can charge me. But I've heard of people going and they don't find anything. So they're not charged. So. So, Lindsay, I, I, I'm sitting here looking at you and thinking if you weren't in Limestop, if you didn't go to Limestop before you got COVID, I, I believe that you would have been in a much worse position today than you are now. Right. I think you would have been much more set back in your healing journey. But because of Limestop and everything you're doing, you've been able to now really rebound very quickly from COVID, right? And I, our listeners can't see you, but I mean, you just look so healthy, right? You just, you look healthy, you sound healthy, and it's clear that you've made a lot of progress in your healing, despite all of these obstacles that have come your way over the last several years. So before I hand you back over to Rich, I do want to ask you this one final question, because sometimes, you know, we miss things depending on where we, where we go with this discussion. Is there anything we didn't discuss that you feel is really important, or you just want to share with the community that you can provide to them as a tip or a trick or a hack or a shortcut to help them in their healing journeys? I mean, I think I have a few things, not just for the healing journey, but just, I think it's very important just because somebody, you know, like you said, I look healthy and I, I feel much better. If you would have seen me before, you can tell the difference, but some people look completely healthy and they feel horrible. Um, I've learned that from an early age, luckily, because like I mentioned before, my mom had a brain tumor at, at the age of, I think I was nine or 10. And she's a beautiful lady, hair is always done, and she looks great. And doctors never took her serious either. So I think we need to be more aware that, you know, we don't know what people are going through, mentally, physically, anything. So we just need to be a little bit more understanding, give a little bit of grace. Um, this is something we also didn't talk about, but it's huge. And I found this through Limestop was Berber Panella. That majorly helps herxes. So I would love anybody who has Lyme issues to give that a try. I'm always scared to try new things. I don't want to make things worse, but so far I've only heard great things. Um, and I don't know if we've talked about it. Um, not we, but you guys have talked about it on this podcast at all, but organic Olivia is a huge, huge, um, help for me. She has anxiety tinctures and these natural type of remedies. She, she doesn't have Lyme disease, but she has some other thyroid things that she's worked out. And that's been huge for me as well. And just hearing people talk about these things that help. I mean, I know I always love that on these podcasts and those are things that have helped me get through. So I hope they can help someone else too. So Amanda, I, I, I lied. I'm not handing you over to Rich yet. I'm sorry, because you keep giving us more and more great information that we need to explore a little bit deeper. So Berber and Pinello, Berber Pinello, we've heard about a lot, but we've never really explored. And I think you're giving us something really powerful here. If, if a tip, many people when they treat, they're going to herx, right? And there's that balance of, you know, what is it a good amount of herxing? What's not, what's harmful? What's not? Is herxing good? Is herxing bad? And you're telling us that if you're experiencing, if you're experiencing a Herxheimer reaction, consider taking Berber Pinella because for you, that really cut back on your symptoms as a result of herxing from treatment, correct? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I've never had anything that I've ever tried that anyone's even prescribed or given me. I don't take pharmaceuticals, but in the past I've tried, this is the only thing that, and, and don't get me wrong, it doesn't take everything away, but it takes the edge off. I mean, there were moments I would, I would think I was going to die. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I was panicking. I felt like I wasn't even in control of my body or my mind. And it's scary to feel like you're going to lose your mind. So during the treatment that was provided to me by LimeStop, and I kept telling, I'll never forget, I kept emailing the lady, Susan, I feel like this, I feel horrible, I feel like I'm going to die. She's like, please just try the Berber Panella. So I finally tried it. And I mean, it, it did wonders, it would take the edge off. So Amanda, I just want to again, follow up on that. So I mean, I know I had that as well. When I was getting, well, I was first diagnosed, and I got the IV Rocephin, that overwhelming emotional, that, that fear, and I think, you know, it's really it's neurotoxins, it's, it's brain inflammation, right? It's, it's, it's toxic die off. All of those irrational fears that we can look back on once we get further on in our journey, you're saying that Berber Pinella will help alleviate some of those fears and psychological symptoms that we're getting from a Herx. Yeah. I think the, the neurological inflammation in your brain, I mean, it really helped me. So I also, and, and, and that's Nutramedics, correct? That's, is that the, the brand you get, the Nutramedics Berber Panella? Yeah, that's correct. So the other thing I want to touch on too before, before Rich picks up is the organic Olivia, because Rich and I have not heard of her. And you mentioned she doesn't have Lyme, but she provides a lot of natural medicine that can help people in the Lyme community. So I guess first, if you know offhand, if her social handle is, if you could share that and what type of natural medication she has that has helped you. So I think it's just organic Olivia. I came across her on Instagram as well. Um, like you both have mentioned, I mean, Instagram has been my saving grace. No doctor could help me. This is where I found healing, healing options and treatment options and things like that. So I came across her Instagram and she actually has a podcast and she talks about, I believe she has thy some thyroid disease and some autoimmune issues, maybe not disease, but issues. And she creates these tinctures. She's an herbalist. She's a young, she's a young lady. I think she's maybe 30 and she's just so sweet and so caring. And I don't even know her, but I feel like I could hug her. She has an amazing tincture called mood juice, which definitely helps the anxiety. Um, I know it has a lot of the things we hear of on a regular basis. I believe it has kava kava and some of them maybe have L fanning, some of these calming herbs, but they're together as an, a tincture. Um, and a peace juice that you can spray in your mouth. These things have really helped me get through these panic and anxiety moments that I normally wouldn't be able to make it through. I mean, I've tried prescribed med medication. I've tried anything under the book that, or everything under the book that anyone's ever recommended. And these are the only things that ever came close in getting me through those major panic and anxiety. And people hear panic and anxiety. And even so they still think, oh, that's in your head. You can work through it. You can regular anxiety. Absolutely. I can figure out ways to work through it. But when your toxins are so high and it's literally in your brain, there is nothing that, you know, you take binders, you do what you can, but these, these are amazing products, I think. So my final question, I hope before I hand you back over to Rich is, do you think that these things work so well? So we'll go back to Berber Pinella, for example, do you think they work so well at alleviating a lot of these neural symptoms from neurotoxins from neuroherxing because they're actually, are they binders? Are they binding the die-off and binding the, the toxins and pulling them out of your brain. So it's alleviating the root cause to the brain inflammation. And once that gets pulled out, your, your mind is able to kind of go back to a little bit of ease. And to be honest with you, I'm usually a researcher and I have these things down and 
I took Berber Panella in, in, in the moment when I was, I mean, on the ground in my room crying and not knowing what was wrong or going on. And I honestly don't know what that one is even meant to do. I know it pulls some toxins out of the brain, but that is one that I haven't even researched. I just took a leap of faith. I listened to the office manager at Limestop and I said, okay, you do this all day, every day. I'm going to, I'm going to trust you, Susan. And I'm going to message you if it makes me worse. I'm not going to be happy. Um, but poor sweet lady. She's like, no, I don't think it's going to make you worse. So messaged a few friends who've been to Limestop. Like, did you herx from this? Did it make you worse? And everybody said no. So I, I, I took it. And you did not experience any, any herxing or you, you didn't feel any, any herxing from it or any symptoms from it other than just feeling better from the herx from the other medication, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sensitive. I mean, that's why I am so scared to sometimes like, like a lot of people so scared to start a treatment like we talked about or take anything because I already feel horrible. I don't want to make it worse, but I didn't feel anything worse. So I absolutely love this, the two things, you, well, the two final pieces you gave us, which are the Berber Pinella for the neural herxing and the psychological herxing, which is real. That fear is real. That, that, you know, irrational uh, thought process part of, of the herx is real. And then from another piece to address the psychological component, which again is a symptom or a by, byproduct of our, of our disease is this mood juice tincture. And then they have a peace tincture as well through organic Olivia, which has helped you overcome a lot of psychological herxing effects of Lyme disease. So are there any other tools or tips or tricks regarding herxing or, or just alleviating your symptoms that you want to share before um, we conclude this part of the podcast? No, I mean, I think we touched on everything. I, you know, mentioned the infrared sauna, these tinctures, and um, that's about it. I mean, like the rest of us, we all hear, you know, I have ice packs on my head constantly. I put essential oils on my head and whatever we can do to help. I mean, I'll share anything that that might help somebody just a little bit. So Amanda, now talk to us uh, about the journey of transformation. Your journey of, of achievement has been really powerful and you were really kind to share with everyone all the things that you did, both how you built your team and how you located your tools to heal. But now let's talk about the journey of transformation and how this experience was transformational, how you learned about your gifts, how your creator created you in a special way, and how you're now using that to help other people. So I think it's been huge, um, not only for myself, but we, we kind of touched on it, but my job has been amazing. I mean, th they let me cut my hours. They let me work from home even before the pandemic. That has been huge in my healing journey. Um, these people don't even know, you know, they, they knew me. They knew me from working 40 hours a week, being there every day, never missing work, being top performer, hitting all these goals and um, just them allowing me to work part time and be home was able, uh, just allowed me to be able to heal and do so many things. I've learned a lot about myself. Um, I've learned that I was such a go, 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 go person. I couldn't sit down for five minutes. Um, I was always on edge. Something always needed to be done. Um, also, I'm that person that everybody goes to. They're always dumping on that emotional energy. And I've learned that it's important to set boundaries. It doesn't mean you can't be there for people, but you do have to set boundaries. The hugest thing for me is to be your own, basically your own best doctor, your own advocate. Don't buy into somebody telling you it's all in your head. You know your body better than anybody else. Um, and more than anything in this journey, I just think it's, it's taught me so much just to like we touched on not to judge a book by its cover, basically, you don't know what somebody's going through. And from this, I mean, if I could help just one person, it would all be worth it. So I think 
going forward, I just want to try to continue to do that and spread awareness. And, and you're doing a great job with that through Instagram and from, from all the outreach that you're doing. So, I mean, a lot of people have asked us the question, who has the best foundation for healing? And I've been thinking a lot about that lately, and I'd like to sort of run this by you. And, and, and I've actually seen sort of two patterns developing, both of which I think you embody. The first is people who are, before getting sick, already intuitively dealing with their health, meaning they're, they're, you know, they work out a lot, they're, they're careful with their diet, they use supplements, and they're constantly sort of reading their body to try to improve themselves physically, generally athletically, but it can be in, it can be in other ways. And the other, the other sort of trait that I see in folks who, from a foundational standpoint, generally have earlier success are people who are action takers, meaning they just move all the time. And, if, and I have to tell you, of the 220 so people that we've interviewed, you know, I don't think there's anyone who manifests those sort of two personality traits or those two forms of creativity more than you. So can you talk about how perhaps you had you know, these gifts that you didn't fully understand as well as you do now uh, that you use as an athlete and you used as, 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 um, you know, as a daughter and as a, as, as, a, as a, as, as a spouse, but after sort of going through Lyme disease, you understood the importance of those, you know, those God-given gifts and how they were uh, vital to your uh, success and healing. I mean, I think there's a lot to it. I mean, sometimes now my family will probably even say, okay, you know, too much, like let us eat a little gluten or let us do what we want to do. But now, now knowing everything I know, I don't want my loved ones to get sick. I don't want anybody to get sick. I want them to know the foundations of eating healthy and not using these chemicals in your home and switching to more natural products, organic products when you can that aren't sprayed with weed killer. And um, I've always been a fixer or a doer. I mean, I'm a go-getter. So, and sometimes the situations I would choose to fix before weren't healthy, but now it's like, I, I want to help so many people. I want to help people who are just starting this journey and, you know, give them some ideas and some tips, let them know that there's other people there for them. I mean, it, it's a hard, it's the hardest thing in the world. I can't imagine. I don't know. I, I know there's harder, but I have, I, I don't know. Well, Amanda, I, I got to tell you, you've done an awesome job today, you know, on, on that prong of your journey with helping people learn from, uh, your journey and 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 the way you've articulated so much of not just the research you've done, but the times when you took things on faith was really powerful as well. And and I think folks are really going to benefit from hearing this journey, the story. So now I'm going to ask you the final question we ask everybody on the Tick Bootcamp podcast. And unfortunately, I have to bring your wife into this in a you know in a powerful way. If God forbid, after this podcast, your wife came into the car that you're sitting in right now and she showed you she was being bitten by a tick. What would you do to help her so that she wouldn't have to go through all the challenges you've had to face on your Lyme disease journey? So there's a definitely a couple parts to that. Like I said, in Arizona, we don't encounter ticks that that often. And but as we know now, different insects can carry it. So if she gets a even any kind of insect bite, of course, I'm a little more cautious and fearful. We put essential if my mom would kill me if I didn't say this. We put essential oils on it right away. We put the bentonite clay on it. But if there was an actual tick, I would make sure it was removed properly, um, saved. I know you want to send it in for testing. And I would refer people to, um, I know the Tick Boot Camp has online. They have resources on what you should do for the tick bite. I know my naturopath has some resources. I would make sure that 
whoever my loved one is, my wife or whatever, that they have these resources and, you know, you're not just pulling it off incorrectly and throwing it away, being done with it. Man Rojas, we can't thank you enough for sharing your beautiful journey with the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Thanks. Thank you guys so much for having me. I had been looking forward to this. It was so nice to finally meet with you guys. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Amanda Rojas. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Amanda Rojas, please visit our Instagram page at Amanda underscore Rojas underscore 10. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of our post. Third, Tick Bootcamp is created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please know we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you, as always, for listening.